Well, praise the Lord, everybody. This is Brother Jason coming to you from the Gaffney Bible Fellowship. The title of this podcast is Apostolic Bible Study Time. We're going to be digging into the book of Hebrews first. There will be a list of scripture references over at www.apostolicbiblestudytime.org. They won't be there for this first episode. Uh, We are going to have a discussion here, but this is dealing with who wrote Hebrews. But uh, if you would like to reach out to us for any reason, you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash apostolic Bible study time. You can also email us at apostolic Bible study time at gmail.com. We're going to get in here to the authorship of the book of Hebrews. I found this interesting when I began scratching around and digging and looking. We have history with a few different views on it, but up until around the 1800s, most people believed that the Apostle Paul was the writer of the book of Hebrews. Um, personally, I use the King James Bible. If you use another one, I mean, there shouldn't be enough difference really to have you reading one thing and have me, the host, reading another thing. But I use the King James Version. And at the King James Version, it lists this as the epistle from the Apostle Paul to the Hebrews. But that's really just people uh, taking an educated guess. But that's what we're going to get into today and just taking a look at this. And I would be glad to have your feedback. I would be glad for you to share with me your thoughts. That email address again is apostolicbiblestudytime at gmail.com. Facebook page again is facebook.com forward slash apostolicbiblestudytime. But who wrote the book of Hebrews? Uh, We've heard different theories. Some say Paul, as I said, that was the given throughout most of the history in our dispensation of time. There are others believe it was Apollos. And we're going to get into look at Apollos, but uh, Barnabas, Luke. Uh, a new idea is Priscilla, as, as in Aquila and Priscilla, the tent makers that Paul was uh, associated with because they were of the same craft. There are some that say it was Philip. There are some that say it was Silas. There are some that say it was Clement. And there are some that say Epaphras. Uh, We know that uh, it is a legitimate letter. Clement, back in 96 AD, I believe it was his first epistle to the Romans, he quotes the book of Hebrews. Now, personally, I believe if he's quoting the book of Hebrews, most authors would not quote their own work. Uh, You read the Apostle Paul when he's quoting, when Peter's quoting, when any of them are quoting, they go back and they take from the Old Testament and they quote the Old Testament. Most people are not going to write a book and then have the vanity to quote from their own books. So, like I said, there are some that believe Clement was the one who wrote it, but I just, I really don't believe there's any evidence whatsoever for that. And people that are much smarter than I am, the the Greek scholars out there, they believe that it was a different style of Greek 
than what most of the Bible is written in. Uh, whoever wrote the book of Hebrews was evidently very highly educated. He, he knew what he was doing and, I mean, the grammar and everything that goes along with it, which really narrows the field down quite a bit. The uh, original theory was that the Apostle Paul had originally written the book of Hebrews in Hebrew, and then Luke, the beloved physician that traveled around with Paul, translated it into Greek and then shared it amongst the Greek believers, amongst the Gentile Christians. But uh, Paul, he's rejected by modern scholars. For one thing, Paul really didn't share a great love. He, he loved the Jewish people, but the Jewish people obviously did not love him back. You, you can go to the 8th chapter of the uh, book of Acts and the ninth chapter of the book of Acts and you can see it it's, uses the word havoc. Paul was just wrecking havoc on the believers in Christ. He was causing so many problems for the believers and then Jesus chooses this man on the road to Damascus to send him out with his word. But when Jesus calls him, he calls him as the apostle to the Gentiles, not to the Jews. Okay, so Paul is really rejected amongst so so many scholars, people that understand this. And you could go over to Second Thessalonians, the third chapter, the 17th verse, and the apostle Paul says, the salutation of Paul with mine own hand, which is the token in every epistle, so I write. Well, Paul didn't sign Hebrews. There was no evidence that anybody signed Hebrews. There's nobody claiming credit for it. There's nobody saying, hey, this was my work. Uh, yeah, any questions? Yeah, just look me up. None of that was going on. It, it was just written and it was just put out there. So um, the Apostle Paul, again, another reason why he's rejected, over in Hebrews, the second chapter, the third verse it says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? The Lord appeared to Paul, and Paul was an apostle, so he doesn't fit into the second or third generation believers. Jesus appeared to him. Jesus gave him his ministry, and Jesus gave him his revelation, pulling from what Paul knew of the Old Testament. You have to remember, Paul was a very learned man. He was a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees to hear him say it. He, he sat at the feet of Gamal and he was learning at the temple and there's other reasons to believe that he was also educated in Rome and uh, he was uh, evidently of a very wealthy background but he was a very educated Jew. So the Lord chose him and the Lord used him but people are now rejecting the idea that this was of Paul. And we're going to revisit Paul here in just a little bit, but I want to move on to the next candidate, which is actually Barnabas. And I was curious to read this, but when they give their reasons, it really makes sense. Barnabas was a Levite. And if you know anything about the book of Hebrews, when you read the book of Hebrews, the understanding of the law is evident in whoever was writing the book. 
Uh, it goes into Jesus being our high priest and it goes into the covenant and how all things are the way it's worded is almost all things uh, are sanctified with blood. Uh, so the writer Barnabas, I mean, that would certainly fit in there. He would know and we have an idea that Barnabas was also a very learned man. But the problem is, when we go back to Hebrews 2 and 3 again, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him, well, evidence points to Barnabas actually being a first-generation Christian. It is believed that he was around Jesus at the time that Jesus performed his earthly ministry. I found it interesting also when you're studying Barnabas, they believe that it's possible that he was the rich young ruler that came to Jesus and went away sad because he had great possessions. But anyway, there, there's much evidence that Barnabas was out there with Jesus and with the apostles, and he learned what he knew at the mouth of Jesus. So that also kind of eliminates him, and honestly, it just goes back to everybody else. There's not enough evidence for us to put our finger on Barnabas and say, yes, this is the author. Uh, the next one I'd like to look at is Luke. And I had never heard this before. I've even heard in the past that people believe Timothy was the one that wrote it. But it talks about Timothy being in bondage and hopefully released to us soon. I can't see Timothy wording it that way if it was Timothy. But when we look at Luke and we, we read and we see uh, Luke 1 and 1 uh, and also verse 2, For as much as we have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things, which are most surely believed among us. Verse 2, Even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. Okay, now that is very closely related to what the writer of Hebrews says when he says these things were delivered unto us from them which were eyewitnesses. It's a very close statement. So people look at Luke and they begin studying. And once again, these people that are Greek scholars, which I admire people of that learning, of that caliber, but this just not something... I've really had time to delve into, nor do I believe I probably have the intelligence that they have. They can nitpick words and they can go into the, the, the meat of the matter, the heart of the matter, and they recognize writing styles and who was learned and who wasn't so learned as they were writing these uh, epistles and as they were writing our New Testament. But according to the Greek scholars, the writing style of Hebrews is very close to the two books that Luke had written. Now, if we think about this, uh, Luke tells you it's uh, everything he's telling you in his gospel and also everything he was telling you in the book of Acts is a conglomeration. He had access to the apostles. He had access to Paul. He had access to all the early believers and being the physician that he was, he was an educated man, and he had the opportunity to uh, re receive his learning from them, and he got much of his understanding. Now, he was a Gentile believer, but he spent a lot of time with the Jews, and he spent a lot of time with those that had walked with Christ. 
So it is a, a very good reason to believe that Luke had been the writer of Hebrews. The, the biggest problem with Luke being the writer of Hebrews, again, there's just no evidence. Uh, history doesn't give him this, this, uh, this honor of being the writer of Hebrews. History doesn't look to Luke. History knows who he was and what he did and everything, but history doesn't go to Luke. So he's really kind of scratched off the list, even though evidently he was just as educated as the author of Hebrews. So we can neither prove this nor disprove this. All we can do is look and we can weigh and we can look into the traditions of um, the early believers and what they had to say. When we look at the timing, we look at the way it was written, there's nothing written about the destruction of the temple, which was accomplished in 70 AD by Titus. Titus was a future Roman emperor, son of Vespasian. Okay, Vespasian, he, he had to leave. He took over after Nero had fell and he was proclaimed emperor and everything. But 70 AD, the words of Jesus in Matthew, the 24th chapter, they came in and they leveled it. One stone was not left upon another. I mean, they just totally leveled it. They drove the Jews out. They sold many of them into slavery. But we look at that being in 70 AD, and there's no mention of that being in the book of Hebrews. So apparently Hebrews was actually a fairly early book. There, there's no evidence that it was written after that time. Uh, there's another candidate that is mentioned in the Bible that uh, I believe Martin Luther had uh, believed this theory. He, the one more candidate is Apollos. Now, you, you know Apollos, how he was uh, baptized under John's baptism and how he spoke fervently. And he, he was a very eloquent man, and he is mentioned a few times in the Bible. But uh, the Guthrie's New Testament introduction, uh, this is what he had to say. Reason number one, Apollos's close acquaintance with Paul thus accounting for the Pauline influence. They, they were together quite a bit, evidently. His connection with Alexandria, which would account for the Alexandrian coloring. His knowledge of the scriptures, which would explain the biblical content of the argument and his use of the Septuagint, uh, the, the version, the, the Greek version of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, uh, over in Acts 18 and 24, it says, a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. So he was a very eloquent man, very well spoken, very knowledgeable. Uh, his eloquence is number four given, which well suits the oratorical form of the epistle. His contacts with Timothy and the sixth reason he gives his considerable influence in various churches. 1 Corinthians, the third chapter, the third verse, Paul is writing here, he says, For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom ye have believed? 
So he's mentioned in here, even, even as the Lord gave to every man, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So Apollos being there in the Corinthian church, they look to him and they admire his scholarship and his uh, anointing, I guess would be a good word for it, and the way he preached and the way he was able to convince others of what he was saying. So it's a very good reason to believe that Apollos also could have been the author of Hebrews. But we have the same problem with Apollos that we had with Luke. There, there's just no evidence that Apollos wrote it. Uh, it would have been a very handy thing if someone would have signed their name to it. That would have given us more information and we could say, hey, look, uh, Paul wrote this or hey, look, Apollos wrote this. But I believe there is a better reason that it wasn't signed. And I want to go back and I want to visit Paul again and I want to look at this. This is a theory. This is not my own theory. This is not something I came up with. But I believe probably out of all of this, this would be the most plausible of all of them. Um, when, when you get into the book of Hebrews, it, it doesn't read like a letter. It actually begins, God who at sundry times and divers manners spake in the time past unto the fathers by the prophets, and he just unpacks his argument from there, and he unpacks his teaching from there. Uh, it's evidently a sermon that has been taken down and uh, transcribed is the word we would use in English. It has been transcribed. But that would be the reason why it was never signed is because it wasn't a letter addressed to any individuals. It was a sermon. So how can we look at this? How can we uh, believe maybe Paul has something to do this, something to do with this? Uh, let's go down to Acts 17. We're going to pick up here in the first verse. He says, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, easy for me to say, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. And of the chief women, not a few, I'm sorry, I skipped there, um, Christ must needs have suffered and risen from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ, and some of them believe and consorted with Paul and Silas. And of the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. But the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. Okay, so we read that Paul, being the apostle to the Gentiles, as his manner was when he entered into this city, the first thing Paul did was to go into the synagogue and to talk to the Jews, to speak to the Jews, to try his best to convince the Jews that 
Christ was Jesus, that Jesus was the Christ. Okay, Galatians, the second chapter. We're going to pick up here in the seventh verse. But contrawise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel of circumcision was unto Peter, for he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen, and they unto the circumcision. So even the apostles themselves recognized that Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. But even though Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles, uh, Paul still had a heart to his own people, to the people that had begot him, to, well, he speaks in the book of Romans how that the Jews had the oracles of God. They were the ones that were entrusted. Uh, Jesus told the woman at the well in Samaria, he said, Ye worship ye know not what, for salvation is of the Jews. And indeed, to begin with, that is where it was given. It was given to the Jews. This was not a Gentile religion. Our people were wandering around the woods somewhere, living in grass huts and all the other things, while the Jews were out there and they had a very civilized society. But uh, Paul says in the book of Romans, the 10th chapter, the first verse, he says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. And as we read in Acts 17 and 2, Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures. So the way I read that is Paul, for three weeks, he went into the assembly of the Jews and he tried to convince them, he tried to give them the understanding that Jesus is the Christ. And they rejected him. They rejected the words of the apostle Paul. Now, why would Paul do this? In the book of Acts, in the second chapter, and the 39th verse, the apostle Peter stands up and he says, For the promise is unto you, speaking to the Jews, and to your children. So when Paul went to the Jews first, he was actually commanding Acts 2, 38 and 39. He took the truth first to the Jews that were in the cities that he would go to. Uh, let's take another look at this over in the book of Acts in the 13th chapter. We're going to pick up in verse 44. And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you. But seeing ye put it from you, and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. So the idea that I am putting forth to you is that this was indeed the words of the Apostle Paul. Over in Second Peter, the third chapter, 
uh, we're going to pick up in the 15th verse, the Apostle Peter says, an account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also other scriptures unto their own destruction. Okay, the apostle Peter being the apostle to the Jews. Now, was Second Peter written to the Jews? Uh, he actually doesn't address it. He just addresses it to the strangers and then he gives the uh, various regions where the letter is supposed to go out to. But being the apostle to the Jews, I believe he was talking to the Jews and he was referencing Paul reaching out to these people. He was referencing quite possibly the book of Hebrews that was written to the Jews. So when Paul goes around, this is quite possibly the sermon that he would preach when he would go into the synagogue and speak to the Jewish leaders. Now, he was traveling. I mean, his group, it, sometimes Luke was with him, Apollos. Timothy, Barnabas, Silas, I mean at different times a man named Demas and then different times people would leave him and sometimes he would give accolades and sometimes he would uh, give thanks for this one being with him and as I said before he refers to Luke being the beloved physician that traveled around with him. But all these learned men come together and it would make sense that all their learning in Greek when they would set down to transcribe this, the Greek would be perfect. It would be something that a scholar wrote because there were multiple scholars working with the Apostle Paul and setting this down. That would give a reason for the perfection of the Greek and also a reason for nobody signing the letter, nobody taking credit for the letter, and nobody being addressed in the beginning of the letter. This all would make sense, and the, the conglomeration of coming together and all the knowledge of the law is he traveled with uh, Barnabas at first, and he traveled with Silas, and he had all these people around him that had so much understanding in the Scripture. Uh, I think of Timothy often because Timothy's given credit for nothing, but he helped Paul write so many letters to these different churches. He's mentioned in so many different places, but all these men pulling their minds together, pulling together their, their, their knowledge and writing this down and making it perfect. But the truth is we'll, we'll never know. Not on this side of eternity. Well, I don't believe they're ever going to be digging around over there in uh, Europe or digging around in Asia and suddenly find a signed copy of the book of Hebrews doesn't mean it's not out there it's just it's not likely as time progresses and time has moved on but what do you think uh, again if you want to share your thoughts on the matter facebook.com forward slash apostolic bible study you can email us at apostolic bible study time.com now after today the uh, scripture list and the materials list that I am using as we dig into this chapter by chapter, it will be available in blog form over at apostolicbiblestudytime.org. That's www.apostolicbiblestudytime.org. 
apostolicbiblestudytime.org. Now, there's no references over there for today's message. This was an introduction, and this was for you to kind of get the feel of what we're trying to do here as we go into this book and as we dig. And there's going to be different authors used. I, I try my best to use oneness Pentecostal books when you... Go to Trinitarians, and I, I was raised Trinitarian, so don't get me wrong when I say this, but if I'm standing next to a blind man looking up at a sunrise, I don't need that blind man to explain to me what I'm seeing because I'm the sighted one. I can see it. So I would much rather get into uh, apostolic authors and use the apostolic study Bible and see their input on these different matters and see what they have to say. Uh, there's another book I also use that's actually on the public domain. It, it's not under copyright anymore, but Barnes Notes on the Bible. I don't use him for revelation, but many times he gives background and different things. He was a greatly learned man, but he has background information that I don't possess on my own, and he's another reference that I will use from time to time. But uh, this is the format. I'm looking forward to it personally. I love Bible study time. Being apostolics, we love preaching so much. It's so easy to go out there and find preaching on the internet. You can find so many on YouTube. Uh, I listen to Holy Ghost Radio all the time. I love Holy Ghost Radio. Uh, the, the oneness music, the oneness preachers. I, I love Holy Ghost Radio. But through all that, we have all this preaching, we have all this exhortation, we have all this encouragement, we have all this edification, but what we lack so much is a good, solid Bible study. And that's part of the reason why I'm here. That's part of the reason why I'm doing this. I love to teach. I love to study the Word of God. I, I love to dig in. I love to get understanding. I love it when God gives me new revelation. But this is being brought to you in the form of a Bible study. And I, I hope you enjoy this as much as I do. Lord willing, we'll be back with you next week. Uh, the, these podcasts are going to be in between 30 to 45 minutes. And when we come to you, the, the length is going to depend on the length of the chapter. Uh, it's going to depend on how far we can get and stop without interrupting our thoughts. So it's not going to be a 30-minute segment or a 45-minute segment. It's going to try to, it's going to differ from week to week, but I'm trying my best to keep it in between 30 minutes to 45 minutes. But Lord willing, we'll be back with you next week. But until then, this is Brother Jason at the Gaffney Bible Fellowship reminding you that Jesus is not in the Godhead. The Godhead is in Jesus, for in him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Colossians 2 and 9. Goodbye and God bless. Our righteousness and power is all we need in Jesus.